Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. G'day and thanks for taking the time to join us on JOSPT Insights for part two of our dive into the growing and exciting world of esports. Today we're talking diversity and inclusion in the gaming world, both for gamers and for clinicians. And if you missed part one, jump back in your feed one episode to episode 53. I promise it'll be time well spent. Caitlin, welcome back. Part one of our chat about esports was focused really on the musculoskeletal health aspect and some fantastic practical tips for engaging with gamers and helping them improve their health and performance. Today, I'm really interested in learning a bit more about how you got into esports, what you find interesting, what are the challenges potentially for getting into this community. And I want to start by talking a little bit about the stereotype of the gamer. I think lots of folks, if we asked them to imagine a gamer, they'd think of the, you know, teenage boy sitting in the dark room, never all pasty, never comes out to see the light playing, I don't know, Fortnite or some something on the computer. What surprised you most when you started working in esports? I was surprised by how many people still held that stereotype, honestly, um, because the, the number of folks that I've met working in medicine who are also medical professionals who play a large amount of video games to stay sane is, is pretty darn high. So kind of, you know, when I got into the esports scene, um, I guess that I'd had that preconception dismissed a little bit before me. But yeah, no, there's definitely that right. You read that mainstream media stereotype of kid in a basement, eating Doritos, drinking Mountain Dew and playing like Call of Duty or whatever. Right. It's true that the largest demographic for esports is still males age 18 to 24. But that's been changing. Like that's not the only face of gaming or esports anymore. There's about 46% of, of current gamers worldwide are women um, or identify as female. That is with the, the margin of error that most studies look at male and female binary and do not consider, you know, gender non-binary constructions. There is also the fact that while the, the primary demographic is 18 to 24, the 25 to 34 category is also quite big. And honestly, the 50 to 65 category is growing pretty significantly. I think it's becoming a lot more acceptable. And I think for that reason, the, the face, the demographic of gaming is, is changing. It's not just something that only kids can do now. We're recognizing that there's plenty of value, both in terms of escapism, but also in terms of things like social and community building in terms of visual function in terms of reaction time, in terms of, you know, training some cognitive function. There's a whole bunch of research on do surgeons get better at surgery by playing video games? The research is mixed currently. Sorry, surgeons. But we've got this, this real growth happening. And I think it's in large part because, well, in large part because there's a whole bunch more money being thrown at it now. But I think also in part because more people are recognizing that you don't have to fit a particular stereotype to be involved in esports, to genuinely enjoy it and to have fun. Are there still hurdles in terms of gender and racial barriers? Yeah, definitely. Are they improving? I would say yes, significantly. Let's come back to that. But first, can I get you to share how did you get into esports? Are you a gamer? You know, you're a PT, we know that. So how does one go from traditional PT training to getting into gaming? I kind of got into esports physical therapy by accident, honestly. I was in my final year of physical therapy school. I was in my last clinical rotation. I was doing 10 weeks inpatient, then 10 weeks outpatient on a traumatic brain injury unit, which I loved. 
uh, my undergrad degrees in neuroscience. I like brains. And in order to stay sane, well, doing clinical rotations, studying for boards and training for a marathon, which I inexplicably decided to do all at the same time. Don't ask me why. Well, so, so one of my friends was like, here, just come play this video game with me. And it was kind of like mindlessly fun. And when I went down to DC for a job interview at a hospital, which I later went on to work at and loved, I was hanging out at this friend's apartment and he was doing in-game statistics for a game called Dota 2. I had never seen Dota. I'd never played Dota. I had no idea what he was doing, but I was like, that's stats and video games. That looks super cool. I want to try that. So I actually got into esports by way of statistics. I did in-game kind of broadcast statistics for this particular game, Dota 2. And I would occasionally go to tournaments to provide these statistics, you know, to broadcasters, to commentator teams, things like that. And every time I'd come back from a tournament, I'd complain to my friends about the really terrible ergonomics that I saw because they'd always have like one standard size chair. And that was whether you were like a tiny 16 year old kid or like a 28 year old real tall dude. So I'd complain about the ergonomics. I guess my friends got tired of that. They told me to either uh, stop complaining or do something about it. And I went with the do something about it option. Uh, I started writing ergonomics guides first because, you know, it's a pretty obvious point of entry into the esports. Then in the process of doing that, a couple coaches had questions for me about, hey, my player has this kind of injury. Their doctor told them, put on a brace and rest. Do you have any other advice? Which is how I started working with players via telehealth, um, with players in person, doing community health booths at tournaments. And a year later, I was contacted by the only other uh, esports physical therapist that I even knew about. His name was uh, Matt Hu. And Matt and I are now co-owners of 1HP, which is a multidisciplinary health and performance company for esports. We started working together in 2017. And since then, we've grown tremendously. But pretty much most of us, our on-ramp was, we played a lot of video games and we just happened to take up a, a medical kind of role in, in our careers. And then we decided to combine the two because it sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for growth here. And, and I can see lots of different avenues that folks could get into working with esports from the PT perspective, whether it's from the neuro perspective, the sports, the ortho, there's a, there's a whole lot of diversity there. Part of the reason why it's been so great working with this multidisciplinary team is because we'd run into you know little hurdles that we wouldn't be able to solve. And so it's not just about having different disciplines. It's about having different lived experiences and different perspectives. And even folks coming from different games, you know, I, I started out in the fighting games community and in the kind of MOBA slash RTS, so multiplayer online battleground arenas and RTS real-time strategy games um, like Dota 2 and like Super Smash Brothers Melee, which uh, you probably played at some point as a kid and your, you know, older sibling made you play on controller two because you had the player two and they were player one. I started out in those games and other co-workers of mine started out in games like uh, CSGO, Counter-Strike uh, Global Offensive, or Counter-Strike 1.6, or started out in rhythm games like Osu, which is kind of like a Dance Dance Revolution, but for your computer and your fingers only kind of deal. Um, and so having all of those backgrounds across different games, and then across different you know, generalized practice experiences, we've got someone whose background is uh, working in performance medicine, like with Disney. You know, We've got someone whose background is in sleep science and sleep psychology. All of those backgrounds enable each of us to provide better care to our players. And it just makes it that much more interesting to do because it gets real boring being siloed, siloed off in just your little musculoskeletal world. 
definitely. We want to break down those silos. And that's what I hope some of these discussions are about, particularly engaging with different folks within the JOSPT community and hearing about the different options and the different ways that we can collaborate. Now, you also mentioned some barriers or some hurdles in the area. And I'm particularly interested in your experience as a woman working in gaming and in esports, Caitlin. And I think lots of folks listening to us today have probably heard, even if just peripherally, about Gamergate. So I think a lot of people will perhaps have some notion that it's more difficult for women working in esports. What's your experience been and and how is the community, the esports community, approaching diversity, inclusion and equity? So I'm going to preface this and kind of add a caveat here that my experience is as a middle-class cis white woman in America, um, which uh, to add to that in terms of my privilege, I came into esports with the letters DR in front of my name, which does in fact engender at least a little bit of respect, no pun intended. So I recognize that my experience is not the same um, as everyone else's. My experience has overall been pretty darn good. And even still, I've dealt with some, you know, some pretty obnoxious sexism from kind of the most common thing that a lot of women in gaming will report is it's a gamble to use voice chat in games. Because sometimes people will just respond normally. Here's somebody on my team. But a decent amount of the time, if you are audibly female on, on voice comms, people are going to get unusually irritated or annoyed about it or assume that if the game goes poorly, it's your fault because you're only there for you must be bad at video games. It's definitely improved over the last, I'd say, decade, even just the last five years. But I think we could still make some significant strides on that front. The same thing applies for our, you know, our, our acceptance of folks who are LGBTQ towards our racial diversity as well. Some of that is confounded by real world systemic issues of where are servers located and how much does it cost to have a computer that plays well enough to play these games? And even internet access, I think, for, for some folks as well. But to add to that, certainly, you know, there, there are also still racist attitudes that folks grapple with, um, whether or not they've acknowledged that they're working on it or, or acknowledge that it's a thing they need to work on. And so one of the things that's actually happening right now that's been real difficult for a lot of uh, streamers, so folks who stream their video games on the website Twitch, some of whom are professional players, some of whom are just, you know, kind of community entertainer type folks. A lot of the BIPOC community, the Black, Indigenous, and Person of Color community has been dealing with um, hate raids, which are basically just bots that will go to your channel and mass post really hateful messages, you know, using slurs and telling people to kill themselves. Some some really nasty stuff. And it's very much um, engendered by the race that they are visibly. There's definitely been strides. Um, there's definitely been improvement. And there's definitely more people who are willing to call this kind of thing out and to do something about it. But it's pretty ingrained attitude, um, which, you know, is again, not unique to the gaming world. There's, there's a lot of ingrained attitudes that we're all working on, but in the gaming world, some of it is really ingrained from the top down. And when I say the top down, I don't just mean from professional players. I also mean from kind of the ultimate control of the games, which is the developers. Not sure how familiar people are with uh, some of the lawsuits that have been filed, but Riot and Activision Blizzard have both faced fairly serious and Activision Blizzard is still facing fairly serious state lawsuits, federal lawsuits about gender disparity and about racist practices um, within their companies. And that's definitely trickled down to the communities that are associated with the games as well. Again, seriously improving. There are so many more women in gaming than there used to be. There's so many more visibly non gender non-conforming individuals in esports than there used to be. That isn't even a thing we would have thought about five years ago. 
there's some really great organizations out there um, specifically for women in gaming. There's the Dota Valkyries, there's the Fighting Queens, there's the Smash Sisters, and then there's also groups that focus on kind of the intersection of gender and LGBTQ identities, like Queer Women of Esports, which, you know, full disclosure, I'm involved in them. Uh, but their founder is actually a uh, fellow musculoskeletal medicine professional, Dr. Lindsay, Migli- Lindsay Migliori. She's a physiatrist. It's all about diversity and inclusion in gaming and not just about creating a safe space, but also about creating mentorship opportunities to get more people um, into this, this community. There's also EXO Academy, which is a training project to get more women into the top tier of fighting games, for example. So there are initiatives out there. There are folks really putting in the work and there's more allies willing to speak up than there used to be, um, but we've definitely still got a, a good deal of space to improve. I wouldn't say that if you're coming into esports as someone who is not just male, that you're automatically going to have a difficult or a hard time, but you need to acknowledge that some of the things that you're going to see are going to be tough. And there are some attitudes that you're going to have to confront and choose when you're confronting them and when you're not, the same way that we do with any of our patients who display you know, attitudes that we disagree with, beliefs or prejudices that we disagree with. My job is to provide the best care, but that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, clap back if something you're saying is really out of line. Definitely, especially in online spaces, when there's anonymity involved, there can be a little bit more that you'll have to confront. Um, And it's a, a thing to be conscious of the same way it's a thing to be conscious of when you're going into traditional sports medicine, for sure. There's a few reasons why it's important for us to have these conversations. One is, I think, having it front of mind when you are working with gamers, esports players, that it's it's potentially something they've experienced and that might be something that they are willing to disclose at some point, might also be something that you need to discuss. Then I think there's also the issue of pathways, particularly for women and other, other groups who are uh, minority groups in our community, pathways within sports medicine, within musculoskeletal health care to progress and to have a career path. And I wonder whether that's something that you've thought about in your role as a practice owner and as in a leader, as a leader in this space. So both the good news and bad news about esports is there's currently no traditional infrastructure for how you make a career in it. The bad news about that is, to be honest, I am not full-time in esports. Um, I supplement my esports work by doing PRN work at a hospital. Um, because as of right now, there, when I say there's no infrastructure in place, I mean that most of the time, most teams don't even provide healthcare as a benefit to players. So there's not, you know, health insurance coverage for PT. It's, it's you know, cash service. It's, it's fee-for-service, cash out of pocket. There's no expectation about, you know, what it means to, to be on a team in terms of, are you required to get a physical on an annual basis? Some, some teams have that, but it's, it's kind of a team-by-team basis, not like a, a widespread kind of consensus that this is how we treat our players. We've definitely had some had some serious considerations about how do we make sure um, we're providing not only the opportunity to advance, but some amount of stability if we're getting anybody into this world of esports. So within Queer Women of Esports, I mentor a student PT currently. She's designing a, a capstone project that's basically a, a series of videos for medical professionals about what you should know going into esports, which I think is going to be awesome. And within 1HP, our, our company, Two of the folks that we've brought on were folks who were interns at one time. We also work with Dr. McLeary, and then there's also Respawn Therapy out of California. Respawn, which is run by Dr. Jordan Sai, they also do a lot of work with bringing in PT students and kind of getting them introduced to the esports world. Again, the tough part of esports right now is there's not really somewhere with solid footing that we can put someone down if we help them get in here in the first place. 
So I think a lot of the the groundwork that we've been trying to do is make it possible to bring more people in, um, let alone to bring more people in who don't match the, you know, the, the stereotypical demographic of esports. The bright side of such an increase in female gamers and in the increase of female gaming teams and the general acceptance around that is that a lot of those teams specifically want to support women or their players feel more comfortable having a female practitioner working with them. So that's been a really great way to start having some more women who have this esports experience being involved. You know, phys- physical therapy is a, is a pretty female dominated profession in the US. 75% of physical therapists are female. I am the only female esports physical therapist I know. That being said, there's only like seven esports physical therapists in the first place. This is not a representative sample, but it's worth considering that without an infrastructure in place, there are definitely some things that we lack and that we're going to struggle with. On the other hand, the lack of an infrastructure is also an opportunity. It means that we don't have to build the traditional structures that traditional sports has or even that traditional medicine has. We can build something that works specifically for esports and is sustainable for esports and allows people to participate and contribute to this specific field. So let's finish by sharing a couple of suggestions for folks who are listening to us chat and thinking, yeah, esports could be for me. Where would you recommend they start? Where, where should they go to find out more? How can they connect with the community? How can they get involved? So first and foremost, get on Twitter. If you want to be involved in esports, you're going to have to be on Twitter um, because that's where pretty much most of the esports community lives. While you're there, you can follow JOSPT. We're at JOSPT. And you can follow Caitlin and at, you're at... I'm at Kate McGee PT. Easy to find, easy to remember, Kate McGee PT. And it's C-A-I-T. I know there's 20 different ways to spell Kate. Twitter is, is kind of where a lot of esports lives. It's where, you know, folks are talking about the games that they're watching. It's where folks are talking about community drama. It's where folks are talking about new things they've discovered in the game, new tricks that they've figured out to use. And l- let me show you this cool play that I did. So it's very much a kind of community integration type setting. Um, Same thing goes for Discord, which is a platform that was originally designed for gamers. It's now a really great communication platform for not just gamers, but for anybody who wants to make good video calls. They don't sponsor me, but they totally could. Definitely uh, spending some time watching some games on Twitch or on YouTube um, and definitely spending some time playing some games. Find a game that you enjoy. And and I'm not saying that you have to learn to play, you know, the game that all the top esports pros like, whether that's, you know, Counter-Strike or Fortnite or Valorant. I can't play Fortnite. I get vertigo playing Fortnite. Uh, I still treat Fortnite players and I've tried playing Fortnite. I'm just bad at it. But I have games that I love. Um, and so I'm able to speak common language because we can talk about getting real excited about the game that we enjoy doing, or we can recognize the skill that's required to do a certain thing in game that we saw. Like, did you see when so-and-so, you know, pulled off that headshot or, you know, did you see the build they did? Or, you know, did you see that, you know, five-man black hole that he managed to hit? Those probably make almost no sense whatsoever if you haven't played particular games. But if you have played those games, um, then it's kind of a shared in language. It makes you that much more relatable to the players that you work with. And for the love of all things good and holy, please never, ever, ever spell esports with a capitalized S or with a dash between the E and the S. AP Style Manual specifically says esports is E-S-P-O-R-T-S all lowercase unless it's the beginning of a sentence, in which case the E is capitalized, but not the S, never the S. It's the easiest way to give away that you don't know what you're doing in esports. I'm hearing it's a lot about meeting folks at their level, getting involved, and it's a really fun community to get involved with. Caitlin, thank you so much for sharing your joy. And it's clear that you've got so much joy and passion for the esports community. Thank you for sharing that with the JOSPT community today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Bye.